What's up, church? Can we just give the Lord a hand? Amen. So this is week seven of a series called Hindsight is 2020. And the purpose of hindsight is uh, really the question that we ask at the very end of that video is, is there something that you would change? If you were to look back over the course of 2020, one of the craziest years of our lifetime, the question is, what would you do differently? Uh, what, what things would you speak into? Uh, what things would you have uh, changed in your decision-making process? That's the point of hindsight. Uh, the challenge is, is that the scriptures help us understand that we don't have to look back and change everything, that we actually could be looking forward with wisdom in making decisions that are wise in advance. And that's really what we call foresight. But the challenge is, is that so many of us learn from looking backwards. But this guy named Agur writes in Proverbs 30, this classic wisdom literature that we find in Proverbs about some of the decisions that we can make. And he's, he's talked uh, to us uh, candidly through the scriptures about what it looks like to practice against falsehood and lies and deceit, to walk into truth, um, to uh, build our lives on something that's firm, the foundation of Jesus Christ. He helps us even understand that oh, we got to practice the narrative of our heart, and that is, that instead of being dark and deceitful and, and full of greed, that we, uh, we look to what truth is, which is found in Christ and the scriptures. And then that helps us not only in our lifestyle and our parenting, but also even as obedient children uh, to honor the Lord. And just over and over, we see this incredible wisdom, uh, even against arrogance and pride and deception and deceit and so many things that we struggle with. But as you kind of hop into this last section of uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 30, uh, you see him begin to talk about a handful of things that are small in stature, small in size, but they have a powerful impact. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to read verses 24 through 28, and then we're going to focus in on verse 25. This is what it says. From the words of Agur, this unsuspecting character only mentioned once in our Bible in Proverbs 30, he says, There are four things on earth that are small, but they are exceedingly wise. And then he shares what they are. He says, There's the ants that are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Verse 26 says, There's the rock badgers that are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. There's the locusts that have no king, yet they all march in rank. And then there's the lizard that you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Four different um, creatures that are small in stature and in size, but they are exceedingly wise. They are powerful in the way that they were created. Um, Proverbs 30 verse 25 just reminds us of this unsuspecting creature that we don't notice until we're stung by one of them. Um, it's the ant. In verse 25, it says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. And today, we're going to look at four things that the ants do that if the church did, we would be unstoppable. Let me say it one more time. We're going to look at four things that ants do that if the church did, we would be absolutely unstoppable. Which means you're going to get a really awesome lesson, and I'm going to save you lots of time from having to go explore things about ants on your own. Today, I'm going to give you a lesson in ants and the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how they're tied together. The ants are only mentioned twice in all of our Bible. We just read one of them in Proverbs chapter 30. The other one is Proverbs chapter 6. And in verses 6 through 11, uh, Solomon says this. He goes, Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O slugger? When will you arise from your sleep? 
a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What you see in both of these passages in the Proverbs, it in some ways is correlating to the ant as to their ability to work, that they don't rest, that they don't slumber, and that oftentimes we as mankind, as humanity, uh, we oftentimes are lazy and slothful and we're sluggards and we're not very wise in the way that we save up and store up things for the future. And we could easily take this passage and the one I just read, and we could just talk about what it looks like as, as Americans and our consumerism and our lack of savings, and we could just go financial all the way today. But I don't want to go financial all the way today. Uh, I want you to know what I've learned about ants. I've studied as much about ants as I have my Bible um, here lately, and uh, it's pretty interesting that ants uh, actually, uh, there's, there's um, one quadrillion ants on the planet. Uh, that is one and uh, 10 to the 14th power. Um, it's an incredible thing. There's about 10 to 12,000 different species of ants. And even more incredible than that is that their queens can live uh, anywhere from 15 to 30 years if protected well. Uh, ants are, are just these uh, anomalies in a sense. Like they, they are in such incredible. They're only uh, as fascinating to me as something like the bee. Like the, the, the more you learn about them, the more incredible they are that even though they're cold-blooded creatures, which means they take on the temperature of, of whatever it is outside, they uh, have to store their larvae in 74 degrees. So if you were to take uh, just kind of something with like kind of a thermo energy guide and you were to put it over the top of their colony, you would see that they build their colony, whether they're the wood ant or the fire ant, they build it in, in ways that allow the, the larva to kind of stay at a mere 74 degrees on the inside of the colony. See, these fascinating creatures, cold-blooded, are still doing a handful of things that are absolutely phenomenal. And the very first thing you need to understand is that the ant knows why it's created. It knows why it's created. But you look at the ant and you're like, why was the ant created? And it's this unsuspecting creature. And I think that the more I think about and study the ants, the creature... The ant is there to remind me of why I exist. The more that I think about all of God's creation, it is there to point something back to God. And the question is, is who? And it's me and it's you. The ant is existing today, just like the rock badger, just like the lizard, to reorientate our heart to our creator. The creation exists and was created for the creator. And so what you need to know is the ant understands their purpose. This little peon in the ground uh, or wherever they build their colony, depending on the species, has a very, very minuscule and minute brain. But as scientists look at these little creatures, they say they seem to work together, though, as one mass variety, uh, an organism of one greater brain. They all do exactly what they're called to do. They're, or, they're well organized, but even in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 7, it says, but they have no chief officer or ruler. And as people study the ant, there is no hierarchy. There is no one telling all the ants what to do, what to collect, how to collect it, when to do it. They all do what they were created to do. They, they just continue to do the work of the hive, of the colony. They have a collective purpose. And uh, what the collective purpose is, is to, to gather and share and store and continue this throughout um, 
their lifetime, whether they exist for a few weeks or they exist for a few years or if their queens exist for decades. They are to do what they're created to do, which then start me, started making me think, well, what is it that you and I are created to do? Maybe you've even posed that question re- recently, like, God, why am I here? And what am I doing? What am I to do? Well, the, the scriptures are very clear on what it is that you and I are created to do. And if we understood, like the ant understands what they're to do, we we would go through life understanding who our Heavenly Father is and what He desires of us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, uh, we see this famous passage about Jesus in uh, verses 15 through 20 about the Creator of the world. In verse 16, though, it says this, it is for by Him, meaning Jesus, that we were created, uh, that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether that be thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for him. So all things, the ant, the lizard, the rock badger, the snake, we as humans created by God for him. Even the things you and I can't see were created by God and for him. And so as we begin to think about that, we also can identify that we were created by him and for him, but then more specifically, we see in the very beginning of our Bible that we were created differently than the ant and this way that we were created in the image of God. No other creation can can say this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, you see the Trinity kind of there as God says, come, let us make man in our image. You see the plurality of God there saying, hey, let's establish humanity in our image. And so here it is. We have this intrinsic purpose built into us, a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. We have eternity set on our hearts and our minds, and we are God's possessions. We are his people. We are in the presence of God, Adam and Eve, uh, until in Genesis chapter 3, they're deceived, sin enters the world, and then there's confusion and there's chaos, and there is in some ways a reordering of what God intended. The creation no longer worships the creator, but now the creation seems to worship themselves and begin to disorient their heart on what it is they worship, and they become what I would consider confused. Their identities are mangled, and ever since, we've been looking for a way to fix our sin problem that established itself in Genesis chapter 3. So there is no doubt in our minds, the scripture is explicitly clear that we're all sinners, fall short of the glory of God, that we all are separated and condemned by God because no one is righteous, not even one. Our hearts are deceitful, Jeremiah 17. We are in despair, we are in darkness. And when we are isolated, alone, and confused, We don't understand our purpose and our identity can be mangled in so many ways because we're separated from holy God. Can I just help you understand real quickly the complexity of our life and our nation today is because of an identity crisis. Our culture is distorted. It's mixed. People are isolated. They're separated from holy God. And we are walking through one of the greatest times in our history, and that's an identity crisis. People don't know who they are in God. Why? Because we're separated from Him. But by God's lavishing His love upon us, being rich in mercy, Romans 5, 8, He loved us, even though while we were sinners. He sent His Son, Jesus, the Christ, to live a perfect life, to die an excruciating death so that we might be reconciled to God, 2 Thessalonians 5, 17 and following. So the question is, is why does God do this? Why does he lavish his love upon us? Why does he reconcile us who were in darkness back into the marvelous light of Christ? And here's why. It's because he wants us to know why we were created. He wants us to be in right relationship with him. He created us in his image and he desires that we would walk in that. 
that we would live according to his will and way. So listen, we no longer, Ephesians 2, 19, have to live as aliens or strangers. You don't have to be an orphan without a family. You don't have to be a sheep without a shepherd. You don't have to go through life alone. And so Christ comes to us in the form of a perfect man, fully God, fully man, gives of himself so that we might become like God. Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. He goes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He goes, You were confused. You were isolated, you were alone, you were in despair, you were hopeless, you were in sin, you were dead to yourself, your identity is confused, and then God set you free by the blood of Christ so that you might find your identity and walk in Him. Be restored. To be reconciled to God is the goal and the key of Jesus' coming. Paul says when that happens, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, he goes, we are God's fellow workers. That God has made us into his field or into his building. So we gather in a building, but we the people are God's building. He is developing himself in the house today, but we are the house. He is the builder. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says that because we are his possession, that we are his field and his building, that he's demonstrated that in giving us good gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, as Paul outlines what the body of Christ is, that that is the members, he says this in verse 4, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And verse 7 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I think about the ant. Every single one of them, a minuscule little brain, to do the work that God called them to do. And when an ant does exactly what they're called to do, they can bring back to their colony anything that is 10 to 50 times their weight. And with the synergy, they can take down an entire bird together as a hive. And they can carry it back and they can literally take it apart one by one so that it blesses the hive for future times or for the colony for future times. They do their work. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. We are called to be the church. God gives us a variety of gifts, different purposes. We, we come in all shapes and sizes. We come in all different colors. We come with a variety of, of purposes, different gifts. But everything, don't be confused, is for God's glory and our good. Everything we have is for God's glory and our good. We are to be for the common good. Sinners were made saints for God's glory. The lost were found, the blind now see, the leper was made clean for God's glory. No longer do we live for our individual selves. We, like the ant, thinks of others. And we, we love the collective colony. We are new creations. We have new purposes, new identities, and we no longer live for us as individuals But we live for something bigger than us, and that is the body of Christ in which Jesus is the head of the body. Which is crazy, because if that is truly the case, and we are to be like the ant living in a colony in which Jesus is the head and we are the members, I think you've got to ask yourself is, is why in so many cases do we not see 
the body of Christ acting as members of something greater than themselves? Why is it that we are so single-minded? Why is it that we're so selfish? Why is it that so, we're so quick to let somebody else do the responsibility that God's called us to do? Why are we so quick to not respond when asked to do something? Why is it that we always believe that somebody else will pick up the slack on our behalf? The ant doesn't do it. So I think that's what the Proverbs mean. Why, O oh sluggard, do you not, why do you not pay attention to the ant's ways? And so here's what I would just tell you, friends. Listen, the ant is not a people mighty. They are not a people strong. Can I just tell you real quickly that you and I are not a people mighty. We are not a people strong. But if we will come together in a collective way, just as the ant does, we are unstoppable. Not because of us, but because of Christ who overcame by the power of his blood and his resurrection. Three days later, there is no longer death that has a sting and there is nothing that can prevail against his church. Luke 16. And so we need to be reminded of that. The question is, is, why does the ant thrive? Well, the ant thrives is because you never, ever, ever see an ant being successful in lone work. They're not lone rangers. They, they go together. Matter of fact, what's incredible about that is the ant lives in community more than we do. But we are, we are called to live in community. Like we don't do well alone. They're not a people mighty on their own. They are, not, they are not strong on their own. But when you think about a colony, you can see a colony, depending on the species, that they have several hundred in the colony. There's many of us, like the fire ant in Texas. Um, they have thousands in the colony. And then there are what is called super colonies, and there could be millions in the colony. Um, there are, are different sized colonies, but what you need to realize is they all are designed to work together. Church, what would it look like if we did the same thing? Hey, our church is a variety of sizes, sometimes a few hundred, sometimes a few thousand. Do you know that whether you're a few hundred or you're a few thousand, do you know that God designed the church to work together? And the only successful churches are the ones that the kingdom of God looks down on and God sees every member in every church doing its part. So it means that our church right now is not successful the way that God intends it to be because we have so many members not doing their part. There's so many churches across the nation that a small majority of the, of the colony is carrying the entire thing. That's not how it's designed to be. Every ant does its part just as every member should do theirs in the local church. You might ask yourself, well, how in, the, how in the world do ants even know how to live in community? Like, was, I mean, well, it's built in, right? But what's also interesting is, is even as they forage for food, as they think about the hive, they, they are always meandering and they're looking for ways to bless others. And they're thinking about the way for the bless the hive. The scientists would say, though, that they don't have incredibly great eyesight and they don't follow each other by just being close to one another. But what they do is they lay a scent down. It's called a pheromone. And as they go and they gather and forage food, you'll notice that they oftentimes have a very um, crazy pattern. They don't really ever really know where they go, but their eyes recognize a particular foundation or site. So they are able to enter back into their colony because they have in some ways memorized what it was they left. But as they go on this crazy trail, uh, leaving pheromones for others to follow, once they find something that's a blessing to the, the entire colony, they make a straight line back from where they were back to their colony. 
So in some ways, they're, they're kind of meandering, going different ways, but then they come back, and they're a blessing to their colony. They live in, in, in the colony as a blessing. But the challenge is, is as they're out scavenging, laying this pheromone trail, if they are left alone, they are prone to attack, which means you won't see many ants found alone because they know that they are prone to be deceived or prone to be overtaken by a stronger source. And so they live together. They live in a tight-knit community and they lay down pheromones so that they can see or or, or, um, smell and and actually know who's in the colony. Oftentimes, they'll actually know an intruder or an imposter, even of the same species, by the pheromone cell. And so you can have two different uh, fire ant heels just a handful of feet apart and they'll know they're a part of different colonies because of the pheromones they lay down. Listen, Do you think that God wired us to live in community so we know the real deal from the fake deal? Jesus says it this way, you'll know a man by his fruit. Do you know why you have members of the body, why there's a distinction about those who are part of the body of Christ and those who aren't? It's so that you can make a clear distinction about those who know Jesus, who follow him closely, and who wants to be a part and live in community. It's to distinguish what is truth from a lie, what is light from darkness, what is Christ and His? It's this way in the New Testament. It's sheep from the goats. That's how you see it. And so we are designed to live in community. Why? Because we don't do well alone. But here's the challenge. Like a lot of us in here, we struggle with this. We think that, hey, we do okay alone. Why do I need all of them? I don't need... I don't need community. I don't need, or we make up what community is in our own mind. We think that community is a group of friends that we like. And that's not what you see in the New Testament. What you see in the New Testament is a group of people who have a common bond and a purpose and a mission they live for. And then they yoke themselves together in one direction, due north for their king. In the case of the ant, it's for their queen. But for us, we do it for our king. And we know that we do not do life alone very well. Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says in verse 9 and 12, through 12, he goes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward, reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift a fellow up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? What a great question. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The idea is, is we are better together. The church has always been better together. Why? Because Paul writes to the church in Galatians. He goes, hey, the reason why is because we have to bear one of those burdens. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 2 and 5, he says this, bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Here's what he says. I've always read this differently until I studied the ant. What he's saying is, he goes, if someone thinks he's better than the other, he's not, I don't think he's talking about arrogance here. I think what he's saying is, is if you think that you are the only person on the planet that is strong enough to do life alone, then you're, you're a fool. If you're the only one who believes, like, I don't need community, or I'm too tired for community, or, 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 or we'll eventually get to community, then he goes, that's foolish. Because he goes, we are designed to fulfill the law of Christ, which is loving God, loving others by bearing one of those burdens. We are to contribute to the colony. So he goes, verse four, so you should test your own work. And then this is the reason to boast, will he be himself alone and not his neighbor, for each has to bear his own load. So he goes, there's a responsibility for us to do our part. And we do our part when we fulfill the God-given role that he's given us because we know of our new identity. 
Paul says we ought to be careful about even allowing division into the colony, into the flock. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26, Paul says, hey, just let it be that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then look what it says. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's the purpose of the church. How does that happen? It happens even in the context of a larger church in small colonies. It means that we all know our purpose and we live according to that purpose. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica and he gives them a warning as he closes the chapter. And he says this, I, I urge you, or we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And here's what I just want to say real quickly. Friends, I love you, but as the pastor of this body, if you're a member here, there are so many of our members that are not doing their part. You're not acting like God created you to act. Uh, And when I say act, I'm not talking about what you do out there in public. I'm talking about as you work for the body of Christ. If he's the head of the body and each part's to do their weight, the question is, is are you bearing your own load well? See, the challenge is, is that we've had these conversations and we've warned each other gently for so long, even over the last decade. And I think it, it kind of lands on, on deaf ears in a lot of ways. And I think the challenge is, is because we go, I don't think he's talking to me or maybe he is. Um, but no, I, I'm not. Here, here's what I want. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to get you to respond in a biblical way. That's all. Like, I, I don't need you to serve this place because you serve me. I don't need you to, to do your part because it does something for me. I need you to do your part because the ant does it. And we are designed much more important than the ant to honor our Heavenly Father who created us in His image for His purpose. Amen? Which means if we're not doing our part, like we really need to ask ourselves, well, what are we a part of? Because listen, I love you and I respect you and I respect all the local churches around here, but there are many dead churches that you can go be a part of right now. And I'm going to tell you just real quickly, there are some of you that you should think about it. Because if we're going to, if we're going to yoke ourselves together and let's yoke ourselves to what Christ calls us to, not what we pat each other on the butt and tell each other we should do. And here's, what, here's what's happened in the American church. And I'm just going to say it real quickly. I love you and I say this in humility. Too often we, we affirm one another. I affirm you for showing up and then you affirm me for stepping on your toes. We walk out unchanged. We do nothing about our circumstances and we gather again next week to do it all over again. Pastor, it was a great message. And I'm going to start looking at you and say, okay, then do something about it. Because that's what God's called us to do. And so we admonish the idol. What's the idol? The idol is those who are largely unmoved. That you're unruly of a sort. You're doing your own thing. Like you, it's like the ant who gets up and decides that he's going to do his own thing. Like, hey, forget the queen. Forget what everybody else does. Forget, forget what I'm intended to do. I'm just going to do my own thing. Paul warns against that. It's about the faint-hearted, the one who's tired, the, the, the one who's struggling. Hey, can anybody be faint-hearted after 2020? Amen. Like, that's why we remind one another, hey, it's, it's to help the weak. The weak is the one who is weak in faith. Like, their just heart is not strengthened. And so listen, right now, I'm speaking to some of you that you're unruly and you're idle. You're slothful and you're lazy and you're not doing what you're called to do. There's some of you that you're weak. Like, you're, you're not strong in faith. There's yet others of you that you're just, you're just simple-minded and you're not thinking of anything else. You're becoming faint-hearted. And listen, it's time, church, 
to move. Why? Because we are seeing the byproduct in our society of churches that don't understand their purpose. Not only do they not understand it in their little colonies called homes, they certainly don't understand the context of the church. And in the crazy times where hindsight is 2020, we're going to look back on 2020. It's going to be one of the most pivotal years of our lifetime for a variety of reasons. And coronavirus only highlights everything else that's messed up in our lives. It's all it's done. Coronavirus, the only, only thing that it's been useful for in my life is to refine me, teach me, and highlight a lot of things that I already knew were messed up that I didn't want to admit. And listen, it didn't just amplify that in your life. It didn't just bring out the anger that you knew you ex- that existed. It didn't just bring out the judgment that you already had. Those, those things were there. It just amplified it. It's done the same in the church. It's done the same thing in your family. It's done the same thing in our society. And you know why we're having so many challenges in this culture with election cycles and and all these different things? It's because most of our planet doesn't live in community in a way that honors the Lord, and they don't understand their identity. And so when we go to the polls, we don't even know what it is we're voting for. We think we're voting for a man. Can I tell you, I'm not voting for a man. Do you know why? Because I don't see... Elephants, and I don't see donkeys. I see a lamb. I actually see a bunch of donkeys. (laughs) But it's the lamb, right? Like there's no perfect candidate. None of them measure up. None of them have policies that are great. All of them have more weaknesses than they have strengths. And every time I look at one of them and I listen to one of them speak, guess what? I'm reminded of what a fool I am. And what God has done in His grace to lavish upon us His Son. God forbid I run for president. And yet we, 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 just, we just challenge and pick people apart. And here's what I would just tell you. Listen, God places people in authority and we ought to be praying for them. But listen, as we go to the polls, as people of the faith who understand our identity, all we're doing is trying to protect the God-given identities given us. He created us in God's image, which just means there's a handful of intrinsic things in us that we ought to be thinking through and protecting. One is the life of a child which was created and established by God in his mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139, 13 and 14. We got to protect that. Gender identity. We don't get a chance to reorientate that. God established us. He created us. And this, I get it. You're like, I, I'm messed up. I, I'm born into stuff that I, I don't understand that happens with my mind. And I'm wired and I'm attracted. To, and I go, listen, I get it. Because we're all born into sin. But Christ came so that he would renew you. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to give in to every one of your sensual passions. Guys, if I gave in to every sensual passion I was born with, I wouldn't still be married. But I can't say, well, God made me that way because because God didn't. Creation broke and I'm wired in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. And because of that, I am hopeless and despair without a new spirit placed in me. But as a new spirit, listen, I... I have to think about that as a nation. Here's the challenge, friends, is that most of us don't think about it that way. We see a man we hate or despise, or we see a, a certain policy that we, we desire. And listen, can I just, hey, throw out policies and procedures and just go, hey, Lord, what do you desire from me? Can I tell you one of the things I desire is for our nation 
to uphold just a, a clear view of marriage that God established. One man, one woman, living forever together um, until death do us part. Jesus amplifies those words in Matthew chapter 19. Friends, how do we teach those things if we don't understand our identity? Even more than that, listen real quickly, lean anyway. How in the world is it possible that an ant understands their identity more than God's creation understands theirs? That's a challenge and one that we ought to think through. Amen? Amen. No perfect candidate. There's one perfect one. His name is Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him and we will be okay. Unfortunately, we struggle to do that even those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. Oh, church, how much is there a need for the people of God to do their thing? There's a need. And so the, the, the ants, they don't just um, understand why they're created. They don't just live in community, but you know they also steward their resources really well. You know that? One of the cool things about an ant is they actually have two, two different stomachs. They have one to eat food for themselves, and they have another one that's meant to regurgitate for the rest of the colony. They rarely eat very much on themselves because they always are thinking about others in mind, which is an incredible little thing, uh, that they're always thinking about how they can bless others. They're never slothful or lazy. Matter of fact, the ant takes about 265 power naps a day. In a 24-hour period, they take 265 one-minute naps, and they keep on going. They work continuously throughout the colony all day long. And here's the deal. Always thinking of others. Always thinking about how they can be a blessing. Storing up for difficult winters. They're working diligently right now to care for their entire colony over the course of the difficult months. Isn't that incredible? Like, what if the church, which we are called to do and even commissioned to do through the Scripture, what if we always thought about other people ahead of ourselves? Interesting, it seems like Jesus said something about that. It seems like Paul just tries to reorientate us all the time to our new identity, who we are. Maybe a life verse for you in 2021, and even as we finish this year, um, should be Romans chapter 10, or Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Romans chapter 12 starts out with two classic verses, number one and two, which you probably have memorized. But if you would move on down and study 10 through 13 and memorize this, this would be a blessing for you this year. Here's what it says. Love one another with brotherly affection, like the ant. Outdo one another in showing honor, like the ant. Hey, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord like the ant. Goes on. Hey, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In other words, be like the ant. What does that mean? It means love others. Care for one another. Don't, don't, don't think of yourself. I'll do in showing another hospitality. Don't be lazy or slothful, which is so many of us are prone to do. Acts chapter 2 reminds me of what the early church was. This is what it just said in verse 44 and 45, Acts chapter 2. And it says, all who believed in that day had things together in common. They were selling their possessions and they were giving their belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all that had need. Two chapters over in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says there was not a needy person among them in the early church. Church, how in the world today should there be a needy person in the church? It shouldn't happen. Can I tell you something that's one of the craziest things of the last decade? How many people from other churches call ours and say, we can't get help from our church, but we heard your church well. I'm not saying that in arrogance because we do help lots and lots of people, but I'm just telling you that the church exists to care for one another. And here are six giving principles that if we all did these things, 
in the New Testament that we would be a blessed people. Number one is they all always in the early church set something aside. It was what you consider maybe the first fruit. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. They always gave above what they had as far as their means. They always gave above their means. Acts 4, 34. 2 Corinthians 8, 3. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. They always sowed bountifully. They were always giving more than they had. Number three, they always decided in their hearts what to give. It means that they didn't, they didn't have a, a certain percentage that they wrote. They didn't look at their budget and go, you know what, I'm going to give exactly 10% a day by the penny. That's not what they did. What they did was, is they just said, hey, we're going to decide what our hearts are to give. They didn't, in a sense, seem to take the Old Testament standard of a tithe and go, you know what, that's going to be it. It didn't seem to be that. It seemed to be that they managed their own lives, decided what they were going to give, and they did so, number four, cheerfully, joyfully, and not under compulsion. They never seemed to, to do it with compulsion. It wasn't out of guilt. It wasn't because the pastors of the local church made them to. Uh, Ephesus didn't give because Timothy was bearing down on them hard. It seemed they gave because that's what they were called to do, and they, they realized how richly blessed they were. They always trusted God to provide an abundance, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. They always were trusting that God would do what they get with what they gave more than they could ever give themselves. And then what's incredible is, is they always seem to give far more than 10%. Like, I agree with the, the words of Randy Alcorn. He says, it appears that tithing is a biblical minimum, the starting place, the floor of the giving, not its ceiling. What he's saying is, he goes, look, if the, the early church understood what all God had given to us through his son, he goes, you would think that we would give more than what we have. Now, I say that not to implore you right now or to guilt you or to confuse you, because I want you to be very clear we don't need your money. Um, we don't need your service. We don't need your time. We only do this because God loves us and he changed our hearts and our minds and our lives. Amen? Like, you just need to know that. Like, I don't, I'm not guilting you. That's why I'm not going to spend any more time about it. But what I will tell you is this, is that colonies, ant colonies share their resources well. They steward things well. They share well. And if there's anything that you need to know, one of the things we're to share more than anything is the gospel. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, we ought to always be prepared to give an answer to the hope that we have in Christ. Hey, friends, do you know why we give graciously? It's so that the gospel can be spread generously. Which then brings me to the point of this, is that do y'all know that the ant does probably more than anything best, whether than knowing their identity and living in community and, and storing up for the winter and really think they multiply really well. They multiply their inheritance. And you might wonder, well, how do they do that? And what does it even look like? Well, once a year, what they're going to do is produce males, and males are going to meet, mate with females, and you're going to see them flying around. That's when they're flying. And when they're flying around, they're mating. And then here's what happens. The male dies and gives himself up, and the queens go back to the colony. Sometimes they'll even let go of their wings, and they'll go back and they'll bless the colony, and the colony will produce. But not only is their colony uh, producing, but they're also reproducing. They set out on a venture, and they reproduce over and over and over and over again, which means that's why we have you know, one quadrillion ants on the planet and every country in the world, with the exception of Antarctica, has ants on it. They multiply really, really well. And as they multiply, uh, I think about not only do the males give themselves up, but I would say that they do that far better than the early church and even for us as the church. Listen, if every male in this place began to give himself up, for the kingdom of God, the church would flourish. But the church today is filled with cynical, selfish, arrogant, prideful men who refuse to give themselves for the Lord or for his purpose. And let me say it one more time because there's a lot of men in here. You need to hear it. Amen? Women say amen. Okay, that's what you do. 
No, you guys, y'all got the point. And listen, can I just tell you, I'm the lead of the charge. Like, I'm so selfish. I'm so arrogant. I'm so boastful and prideful. And man, does the Lord need to humble me to give myself up. Why? Because that's God's design. You know, even if an ant gets a hold of some bacteria or something that's going to infect the hive, you know what they do? Instead of leaving the hive and diving, they just literally kill off a portion of the hive and the other part moves and flourishes. The ant is always thinking about multiplication, and we are too. Here's the crazy thing is, listen, ants are in more countries than the church. Ants are in more countries than the church, and yet it is Jesus' word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he just says, and you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to be in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. In essence, he's going, be like the ant. Get your purpose. Live in community. Sharpen one another. Care for one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Love one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Share generously with one another so that the church of Jesus Christ multiplies out. This little small peon called an ant is a picture of what God's church is going to be. And that's why Paul utters these words, and I'll close with, in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. He goes, How then? Are, you to call, are they going to call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe on him whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? Like, and then he says it's how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He goes, church, what's it look like? How are people going to hear? How's the church reproduced if no one's faithful to go? How, how does it happen if no one shares? If every person's not doing their parts, then what, what happens? What do we do about that? So he goes, we're to go, and we are to be all that God has designed us to be. And church, can I just tell you that I think we have some work to do. There's so many of us right now that we're confused, and we're isolated, and we're not doing our parts. There's, a mem- there's many of us that we would say, hey, we're members of the body here. And members of the body here is a clear distinction of saying, hey, we're going to align together, yoke ourselves together for the purposes of God's common good. And we're going to give of ourselves so that the, the church flourishes that we are identifying as a part of the local colony. And as we do that, we, we do that with the hope of God in mind. Members in most places, it may not matter. It may be a place to hold your wedding or your funeral. But here, membership has nothing to do with weddings and funerals. It has to do with who is it that is God's people? How is it that as a shepherd, I am to pastor to shepherd you? Who is it? Who are the names? Who are the faces? Who are the people here that we would say are part of the colony? You remember the pheromone scent that's traced? Listen, as I think about being a shepherd, there's got to be a pheromone trail. There's got to be people who I know are mine and who, who are not. And listen, I'll just tell you, I love you very graciously and kindly. But if you're, if you're a regular attender here, listen, you're not a member of the body here. You need to become a member of the body. Or if you're not here, find a place and get plugged in. That's what God created you to do. If you're like, man, I don't see biblical membership as a big deal. Like I'm a member of his body already. Listen, I, I will take you to the bank on scriptures all day long on that. Why? Because you can see time and time and time again that there was local expressions of faith not only were there local expressions of faith, but there was local disciplines in the faith. 1 Corinthians 10. How do they know who to get rid of in 1 Corinthians 5? A man that's messing around with his mother or stepmother. How do you, how do you even know how to get rid of if he's not a part of the flock? Is another pastor supposed to come down from Ephesus and do it? Is somebody supposed to come to Rome and do it? 
No, the colony deals with the colony, right? And so here's what I would just say. Listen, as we think about our colony, I think we got to get in shape. And here's a few things that are just going to, just so you know, we're kind of, we're moving. Um, we're going to finish this year strong. It's been the craziest year of our life. But I feel compelled as we enter into year 10 at Stone Point, we're going to reorientate ourselves in the colony. So at the very beginning of next year, 2020, we're going to kick off and, and we're going to, we're, we're going to talk about our leadership structure. And we're actually changing our leadership structure a little bit. I'm going to give up a whole lot of who I am um, so that our church is more blessed. And we're going to change our leadership structure. We're going to talk through that candidly through the scriptures. After that, we're also going to talk about um, what it looks like to be a member of our body. We're going to explicitly share that, who that is, what that's for. And then from there, we're going to double down on things like living in community, serving, and being generous. And in order to be a member of our body, all those things have to be present in our lives. So we no no longer be a member of our body. And we've said this for a decade. We just hadn't done a good job of fulfilling our our word. Um, Our yes hasn't been yes, our no hasn't been no. But if you're not living in community, you can't be a functioning part of our body. Why? Because ants don't do it, and we shouldn't either. And so church, I pray that if you're going to be a part of this local expression of faith here, I pray that you'll get on board and know that you can be cared for, loved, and that you will be able to be all that God's intended you to be. If not, God's already preparing my heart and has been in 2020 that if he wants to whittle this thing down to 10 or 20 or 50, he did much more with Gibeon than that. So I'm just going to trust that he'll do more with us than that. And so we're just going to give it to him. And whatever he chooses to leave here and be blessed for the kingdom of God, then we're going we're gonna to call it our colony. And guess what? We're going to fight to protect it. Amen? Church, I love you. It's a blessing to shepherd here. Um, and I pray that you'll be blessed. Go be like the ant. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would send us out, commission us to be like the ant, but even greater than. Lord, you created us in your image. We're, We're broken, fallible, but yet you gave us a chance to be reconciled. No longer do we have to live with identity confusion. No longer do we have to wonder what it looks like to love and protect your creation. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not reorder the creation over the creator. Lord, may we put you in your proper place. And as we do that, I pray that you would help us to discern and know and walk out the will of God as a biblical church. I pray you'd give us courage, give us wisdom. Uh, Lord, by no means do I think we have it all together. We're certainly not perfect. Uh, And just as we don't have perfect presidential candidates, we don't have a perfect church. We are just messed up people in need of a holy and righteous Savior. And so, Lord, we ask for your help not only on the government front and as a nation, but Lord, as a church and as individuals. Lord, and even in our own homes, I pray that you would give us your help. It is by the help of God that I'm able to parent kids. It is by the help of God that I'm able to explain to my 10-year-old and my 9-year-old and my 7-year-old how babies are killed in a womb and for them not to look at me and wonder what in the world that's all about. Lord, I pray that we as a church and as a nation, Lord, like we are teaching and instructing our kids even about the hard truths of life and the things that don't make sense so they understand the God-given potential and purpose in their own lives. Lord, would you help us as parents? Lord, we have a difficult road ahead. Not going to be easy. But Lord, thank you that I don't have to do it alone. And so thank you for my friends that are here at Stone Point Church that allow me not only the blessing of being able to shepherd and pastor and and to to be able to be paid for that. Lord, what an incredible blessing, but even more than that, that they walk alongside of me and my family. Thank you. So Lord, may we all be blessed as we leave this place. May we be encouraged, challenged, 
And I pray, Lord, we wouldn't just pat each other on the back and say, hey, good job, but I pray we would do something about it. May we not be, here's the word, and so deceive ourselves. God, may you help us to do what, what your word says. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.